In Greek mythology, how's that going from praying to God to talking about Greek mythology? One breath. In Greek mythology, there's a story about a man named Narcissus. Narcissus. You might already guess some of the words we get from that name. And there's many different myths about this young boy or young man. Well, one of the most common was he was astoundingly beautiful, handsome. And he had many suitors that would try to come and gather and gain his attention. But Narcissus resisted all of them. And then one day he was walking and he came across a pond of water. And it was pristine, it was calm, it was clear. And he walked over to it and knelt down beside it. And the myth says he instantly fell in love with the reflection on that water. And the rest of his life, he pined away for the love that he could never have because it was his own reflection in the water. Narcissus. You're probably familiar with the word narcissist. It's defined a number of ways, but it's a person who has an excessive interest or an admiration of themselves. The narcissist thinks the whole world kind of evolves around them. And it seems like we're very quick. (laughs) Grandma... We're very quick to point out and diagnose those people that drive us a little crazy as narcissists. But I would offer to you, maybe this Greek myth is a representation of what's happened to humanity when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. God designed us in his image, in his goodness, his grace, for his glory. And we were to be outward-focused beings. Our focus and, and emphasis and desire was to be upon him. And as we were focused upon him and our desire was on him and for him, it was such a great blessing in our own lives. But when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they lost that outward focus when Satan came to tempt them. And it became an inward focus. They fell into the snare that the devil had for them. Did God really say? You surely won't. His motives aren't even pure. He doesn't want you to become like him. And Adam and Eve, amongst probably other reasons, desired, I want that. I want to know what he knows. I want to be like him. I want to be my own God. Now, I know most of us would never say that, but we oftentimes live our lives exactly that way. It's all about me, what I want, my desires. Jesus, in the scriptures we're going to be looking at in just a moment, invites us to a life that is way better and way more than anything that we can imagine or anything that we could attain for ourselves. It's a life of freedom that he designed every one of us for. His invitation, as I share with it, it was interesting, Pastor Bob shared this a little bit this morning. The invitation that he shares is like a paradox. What's a paradox? It's something when you hear it or see it, it seems unimaginable or impossible 
that it could be true. But when it's studied or comes about and we get into it, we realize it's perfectly true. His invitation to us is a paradox like that. Jesus is going to give an invitation to every single one of us to lose our life, give up our life, and to find a meaningful existence. No matter how good we might think our life is in our own strength and because of our own abilities and talents and gifts, which, by the way, all come from him in the first place, they will never achieve the satisfaction or we will never experience the freedom that he has designed us for. The title of my message this morning is Surrender is the Road to Freedom. It's the road that leads us to freedom. Even that sounds like a paradox. What do you mean I'm going to surrender and then I'll be free? That's not the way we think. We want to be free. I don't want to surrender to anybody or anything. I want to be free. To give us a little context, we're going to be looking in Mark chapter 8, but at this particular time in Jesus' ministry, he's been ministering for about two and a half years now. The trip to Jerusalem is actually about to begin for the final act of his ministry. So the disciples have been with him for most of two and a half years, and they have seen Jesus do amazing, amazing things. They've heard teaching that confounded the most educated theologians of the day. They'd seen Jesus heal the sick, the paralyzed, the lame. They'd seen him give sight to people that were blind, people that were deaf. They'd seen him cure lepers of their leprosy. They had seen him walk on water. They'd seen him in the sea on a boat just tell the the wind to quit blowing. And the wind listened to this guy. They'd saw him feed the 5,000 with a little bit of bread and a few fish. They had seen all these things. And they're fresh off of him feeding the 4,000. And then in the end of chapter 7, it talks about him healing a blind man at Bethsaida. Now, we're geographically, for those that are weird like me and like to know that stuff, Bethsaida is right near Capernaum on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. That's where they're at. And he heals a blind man, and he does it in a really strange way. You know what he did? He spit in his eyes. And then it says he laid hands on him for his sight to be restored. And interestingly enough, when he asked the blind man if he could now see, he said, well, I see people looking like trees. In other words, not very clear. He didn't spit on him again. He just laid his hands on him this time, and he retained his sight. So this is all fresh in the disciples' mind. Two and a half years of the most astounding experience any of us could ever imagine. And then it says that they head north up into the region of Caesarea Philippi, a lot of wilderness territory. So they're going north from Jesus' home turf. And there's probably many reasons why he went there. But I believe, I believe, one of them is to get away from the crowds for just a little while, as much as he loved the crowds, as much as he loved ministering to the crowds. He had some things that he wanted to teach to his disciples. And the only way he could do that was to 
get him away from the crowds for a little bit. And he was going to teach the disciples in preparation for what was coming. Jesus knew his ministry on earth was going to be coming to a close pretty soon. And I believe he also knew that his disciples didn't understand the whole story yet. So he takes them out into the wilderness. So I'm going to start reading in Mark chapter 8, verse 27. If you have your Bibles or jot that down, the whole section of Scripture is not on the slides. It says this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. And still others, they say that you're one of the prophets. Then Jesus looks at them and he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days he would rise again. And then it says to us, almost as a reminder, he spoke plainly about this. In my mind, okay, they should have understood And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Imagine that, right? The guy that spoke to the winds, walked on water, raised the dead. Jesus, come over here. I don't want to humiliate you in front of the other guys, but I got to talk to you. When Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he crawled the crowd to, <clears throat> crowd called the crowd to come alongside him, along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with all the holy angels. Things were going smoothly until Jesus decided to teach them. And we hear that conversation a little bit. And imagine yourself being part of that group of disciples. And he says, who are the people saying I am? They've been surrounded by crowds for a long time now, everywhere they went. And Jesus is saying, who do they say I am? And he says, well, here's what they're saying. Maybe you're John the Baptist. Maybe you're Elijah coming back. Maybe you're one of the other prophets that have returned. And then he says, he gets it personal, and he asks a question that really every single one of us have to answer for ourselves. He asked them, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Am I a prophet? Am I a teacher? Am I a nice guy? Am I your friend? Who do you say that I am? 
And Peter hears from God. And this is a little interesting tidbit in my mind. He hears from God clearly because Jesus tells him, you didn't know that on your own. The Father told you that. He says, you are the Messiah. Now that word Messiah carried on along with it centuries of baggage. For centuries, they've been waiting for the Messiah. And for centuries, they have been conjuring up in their own mind and in their conversations and sitting around the coffee table. When he comes, what do you think it's going to look like? Oh, he's going to come and he's going to conquer our enemies and he's going to rule and reign and we're going to be his favorite people. It's going to be awesome when he comes. The victory will finally be won. And Jesus immediately speaks to Peter, the guy who just a few moments ago heard from God, and he says, get behind thee, Satan. How quickly it changed. The one who heard from God, and how many of you know when he heard from God, he was right. He was the Messiah. He was right. The victory was going to come. The battle was going to be won by Jesus as the Messiah. Peter understood it, but only in his own mind. He was right, but he didn't have a clue how it was going to take place. And then he had the boldness to try to rebuke the one he just called the Messiah. In verse 31, it says this, He began then to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed after three days. He spoke plainly about this. Really, it's no wonder when you think about what that term Messiah meant to the people of that day. For generations, these stories have been passed on about the Messiah coming and the freedom and the liberty and the victory that would finally be won. Peter was right. But as I said, he didn't have a clue. And why would he? It was not a natural, normal way to think. Jesus was going to win the victory, as we now know, through sacrificial, self-giving love, not through ruling power and authority like a military leader. That's how he was going to defeat the enemy. interesting then that Jesus had summoned the multitudes that were gathering somewhere and he spoke to all of them and in verse 34 he said whoever some translations say anybody that's us that's you and me anybody whoever whoever wants to be my disciple so the invitation is open to everybody Nobody's excluded. It doesn't matter what our past looks like, what you've done, what people have said about you, what you think about yourself. None of that matters. This is an open invitation to anybody, whoever would. But then there's the invitation itself. Whoever wants to save his life needs to do these things. So I'm going to look. It's a great story. I encourage you to read more of it. But I'm going to just focus on this invitation that he gives. And I look at it as a three-part invitation. First part is deny yourself. Verse 35, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. 
but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Denying self. Complete surrender is what leads to the abundant life. Pastor Bob was talking about this this morning. Surrender, leading to freedom. As we surrender to him, there is a life made available to us that we could never experience without surrendering to him. I believe we can even accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior and not walk into the fullness or even close to it of what he has for our life because we need to deny self, surrender self. It's the key. When we actually lay down our life, lay down our agenda, it's then we can pick up true meaningful life. Let go. Let go. Let go of the things that are killing you. Anybody water ski in here? Where'd that come from, right? You ever, ever watch somebody or tried to teach somebody how to water ski? And you get them on the end of the rope and you tell them to hold their skis together. And then you tell them, just hang on. The only part of that they remember is hang on. They say hit it and you hit it, give it a little throttle. And the first thing you see are their skis going in two different directions. (laughs) And they're falling forward. And now they're under the water. And they're hanging on. And all of a sudden, you don't holler, hang on anymore. You holler, what? Let go. You're going to drown. We need to learn from that silly illustration. A lot of the things that we are hanging on to because of our agenda, because of the way we think, because we've refused to let go, they're killing us. They're killing us emotionally. Quite often, they're also killing us physically. And I'm assuming we're saved, so we're not going to kill our spiritual walk. But there's so, so much more. What do we let go of? We need to let go of all the striving in our life. All the striving for all the trinkets, all the toys. Striving positions for power, for reputation. All of those things that are on my agenda. I'm not saying a bucket list is bad, but it better be the right kind of bucket list. It needs to be God's bucket list along with yours. God's first. You know, the easy thing to ask, and I think this way sometimes, okay, I I get it. We need to deny ourselves, deny ourselves, surrender everything. I need to give and lose my life. Well, what's left of me? I'm a little narcissistic. What's left of me? Well, what's left of me? I believe it's the real self that God intended for us to be. The one that I am trying to create on my own with my own, you know, my own gifts. What a lie I believe there, right? Our own abilities, our own talents, the way I want to use my time, the things I want to do, the things I see myself becoming, All of those things, we need to let go to discover the real life that he has for us. When we really, truly surrender our life to Christ, 
It allows him to fulfill our destiny that he has for us. His agenda doesn't always look like ours. You may discover there's some things on his bucket list for your life that are so much better than what are on your bucket list. Letting go. Second part of the invitation, as if that one wasn't powerful enough, is to take up your cross. I don't need to go into a lot of detail, but the cross was a violent, gruesome form of punishment in Bible times. They'd nail you to that cross or tie you to that cross, and you'd have a long, agonizing death, painful death. The cross, taking up your cross, is an invitation to self-sacrifice. Jesus demonstrated the ultimate sacrifice by going to that cross. And now he's telling you and me to take up the cross, our cross. It's time to live a life sacrificially, to sacrifice our lives for those around us. Jesus sacrificed his life for the whole world. We need to take up our cross, be willing to sacrifice. And the only way we can do that is if we deny ourselves, and then take up our cross and look outward. Jesus is an example. Just think, he could have at any moment with the power and authority that he had, he could have done anything we would want him to do. But he didn't. He defeated it. He defeated evil. He defeated all that was wrong in the world as sin by lovingly sacrificing on the cross. He laid down his power and authority. That's how he won. The victory. That's how the enemy was defeated. You notice one of the things that Jesus did when he was on that cross, looking down on the people, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Part of us discovering freedom that God has for us, the unity and the sacrificial way of living requires us to forgive like Jesus forgives. We need to forgive those who have done us wrong, whatever it is. We need to forgive them and let go. It's killing us. We need to accept forgiveness, especially from God, for whatever it is in our lives that we did that we knew we shouldn't have, the hurt we might have caused other people. Forgiveness. What are we holding on to? What are you holding on to? I'm not going to share what I'm holding on to. I'm going to try to get rid of it instead. The third part of the invitation, deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me. Follow me. You know, we're, we can be in awe of Jesus. We can be in awe of who he, what he has done. We can know that the Bible says we're his friend, and that's pretty cool. We can honor him and admire him, but if we're not following him, we're missing the boat. He says, follow me. Embracing 
the way of Jesus. We can't do that in our own strength. It's impossible. And all three parts of this invitation really require process because we can't do it all at once. We're not that good. But the Holy Spirit will lead and guide and direct us as we move along that path. The hard part about following him is kind of similar to the deny yourself. If I'm going to follow somebody, I got to give up control. I got to give it up. I got to get over in the passenger seat. But that still doesn't make me the co-pilot. He is got to be the one driving the car, flying the plane, leading our life. You know, this brings freedom. Again, it seems counterintuitive. If I do all these things, it brings freedom. How can this bring freedom? Well, most of us spend time trying to fix ourselves. It won't work. It'll save you some time. And if we're tired of that, we try to fix everybody else. How's that going? We spend time worrying about how to fix the things that we probably, or things that are probably the result of things we've done. We can't fix any of these things. Jesus is the one that fixes all these things. We had to give him control. Does that mean we don't have responsibility play a part in it? I hope you all know that. Of course we do. But it's to follow him, not push him to the side and think we've got this. Because we don't. Being a follower of Jesus, guess what? It will speak to that anxiety and it will speak to that depression. It will speak to that fear. It's so freeing. It will speak to those insecurities. You know, I've shared my testimony so many times, but it is so freeing when I remember that he's in control and I don't have to worry about any of these other things, putting the burden back on him where it belongs. And we're too quick to pick it back up. Those strongholds in our life can just kill us. We just need to let it go. We need to be able to trust the one who took our sins, who made it possible for us to have eternal life. Does anybody see the irony in us believing that I'm going to have eternal life because of what Jesus did for me? And that he's such a good God. His eyes are on me. He's watching over me. And then I take control. I can trust him for the most important thing in life, our eternal destination, but I can't trust him to restore relationships. Can't trust him to deal with my fear and insecurity. I can't trust him with my loved ones. It seems to be such an irony there. We can trust him. We can believe in him. We have to. It's where our best life is found in trusting in him, surrendering, denying ourselves, surrendering to him, taking up our cross every day. It's a daily thing. And following him wherever he goes. 
So the question is, how do you respond to the invitation? How do you respond to that invitation? Whoever would, whoever would, that wants to be my disciple. Maybe instead of self-protection and self-indulgence, doing whatever Mike likes, trying to be my own God, maybe he's asking me or you to surrender all these things to him. Just give it to him. Let him see what he can do for us. Maybe we should just say to Jesus, you know what? Because you redeemed me, because you sealed my holiness and righteousness by the blood of Jesus, by your blood, maybe because you know every thought that I have, maybe because you spoke and all the worlds came into being, maybe I ought to just surrender and let it go. Put my trust in you. Maybe we should say, I'm going to deny myself. Maybe we should say, I'm going to pick up my cross and I'm going to look outward at others. And maybe we should say, no matter what, I'll follow you. You know, in our walk through life, as we go down the road of life, there are so many potholes Bumps, hills, valleys. And if you're like me, you have a tendency to think I can drive through all of those just fine until I hit one that I can't handle. And then I call on my insurance policy. Jesus, help me out again. Good thing he's full of grace and mercy. Surrender is the road that will lead us to real freedom. Let's pray together. Lord, your invitation is for each one of us. And as we read the words, we might think it's simple or we've already done that, Lord, but it's hard. So I ask you, Lord, to help us to be able to deny ourselves and let go, to let go of those things that are killing us. Only by your grace, by your power, can we let go. God, help us to see when we aren't picking up our cross that we might be quick to pick up the cross, our cross. That we would be willing and anxious and desirous to sacrifice ourselves for those around us. That we might keep an outward focus. And Lord, to follow you that we would fix our eyes on you. God, that we might experience the life that you have for us, a life filled with joy and peace and hope. Fear gone, anxiety gone, depression gone, all that worry gone. Lord, forgive us when we jump back in the driver's seat and try to take control. I pray by your Holy Spirit you would continue to reveal these areas of our lives that we need to just let go. Father, though, that we would truly bring glory and honor to you and as a benefit we would experience the life that you designed us for. Lord, I pray now as we do go our different directions today, you go before us continually. Bring your word to our remembrance. Holy Spirit, 
Guide and direct us. Keep us on that right track. Reveal those things to us. Lord, I pray that we would go with your protection, secure in the knowledge that you're watching. And Lord, I pray that as we do, you bring people across our paths that we can share the good news. God, we all have a miracle if we've accepted Jesus. We can be like Jody was and is, sharing the miracle that you've done in our life, who we were before but who we are now because of you. So I pray, Lord, that we would truly be involved in advancing your kingdom. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.